Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Hi everyone. How are you? Um, happy Lord's Day. Uh, yeah, so uh, thank you, Stan. Uh, really good to be here. Uh, really good to see some old faces, too. And um, before I get to kind of like a brief history um, as to where I've been, who I am, and, and all that, just want to, you know, thank Stan for all the hard work he's done in, um, and, and the rest of the staff to get, you know, get us together during this pandemic time. And so uh, praise the Lord for that. I actually, I'm not using a mask because I had the option of either taking a COVID test or masking. I, I, I wanted to uh, not have a mask while I spoke to you. And so it's interesting, I got a COVID test and it eerily resembled a pregnancy test. And um, as Stan was standing next to me, we were looking to see if it was going to be one stripe or two stripe. And, and you know, uh, Usually, you know, pregnancy test your wife. I was with Stan. I felt like holding his hand and saying, there, what are we expecting? So, anyway, uh, really good to be with you all. Um, again, my name is Pastor Lester. Yes, just got hired last year from ICC. Um, I'm, from, uh, I'm from the University of Illinois. And, uh, yeah, some of you guys are, okay, hey, all right. And, um, uh, yeah, I know some of you from there as well, so really good to see you. And, um, and uh, I taught high school. Uh, for six years after graduating, and then went to uh, St. Louis for seminary at Covenant Fellowship, and I was a campus minister for five years at Washington University. And then I, got, I went on to lead a church for three years down there. Um, I'll get into more details a little bit, but there was a miraculous call given to me and my family's uh, uh, time there to come to Chicago, to come back home and church plant in Wicker Park. And um, after a year and a half, uh, that didn't work out, and uh, we sought some healing and restoration somewhere, and ICC was a place for that for us. And so uh, ICC, the Thrive Network, um, God used that to really uh, bring uh, our family back um, to an extent and also me back into ministry. So praise the Lord for that. So, all right, so just just quick uh, info there. Um, so uh, let's just begin our talk uh, together. Um, when you think about compelling movies, uh, one of the things about uh, what makes it, you know, interesting is, um, you know, you can ask, what is the secret sauce that sets apart movies from one another, right? And, you know, what separates a good movie from a great movie kind of thing? Um, example, you know, all these superhero movies, right? And uh, more often than not, it's not the superhero, right, that kind of makes the movie interesting. It's, it's, it's the opposite. It's kind of like the villain, right? The more interesting and multifaceted the villain, right? It's almost like the better the movie, right? The better antagonist, um, the evil, the problem, right? The enemy, the better the movie. And the same goes for a story and even a sermon. The secret sauce of any sermon that catches your ear rather than a rolling of your eyes through boredom um, aside from, you know, prayer and studying the Word and, and all that, is, um, is a good problem to solve, right? A good problem to solve. When it comes to sermons, the problem, as I learned in seminary as we, as we were looked to look for, was it's called the FCF, the Fallen Conditioned Focus, okay? And the FCF, uh, the Fallen Conditioned Focus, 
is an aspect of our brokenness and rebellion against God where we are in need of Christ's redemptive work. It can either be uh, sin, just straight up sin, like our selfishness, or, or something like, like selfishness or idolatry, or it could be something uh, that is not sin, but influenced by the fall, like clinical depression or diseases. So I want to I wanna come before you and kind of open up with today's FCF, our fallen condition focus. And um, it actually involves my own confession of where I see one of the most serious of mistakes that I've made during the span of this pandemic. I can isolate and identify a huge aspect of my fallen condition that absolutely has not helped or served myself, my family, my God, and, and here's what I believe where my fallenness lies. I have neglected, more often than I would like, the Holy Spirit's involvement in my life. More often than I would like, there was either an unhealthy self-dependence or an air of hopelessness, um, even depression, and that I struggled with. And yes, it could have been due to the environment and circumstances, but looking back, man, I'm just thinking, man, how different it could have been if I just paid attention and gave even some credence and leaned just a little bit, even just a little bit, on the Holy Spirit of God. I've robbed myself of my eternal inheritance and one of the greatest promises God has given me. For example, uh, during, this uh, during this pandemic earlier this past year, I've had general anxiety and mild panic attacks. Right? Um, I've gone to counseling, and, and it helped greatly. It was awesome. It was, it was an amazing gift of God. And I, and I tried different things uh, to give momentary relief from the times those feelings popped up. Uh, but something that I didn't do first was look to the Holy Spirit in dealing with it. He, he wasn't, what I'm trying to get at is that he wasn't my first response okay, towards my own anxiety. And, and look here, the first Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. I, I have successfully done that again and again and again during this pandemic. Quench here means to extinguish or put out. You can actually extinguish or quench the work of the Spirit in your life. You can stop. You can be the cause to pause the empowering personal presence of God in your life. I've shut out the Spirit, closed the door to the Holy Spirit countless times and has led me to empty places and even, even some dark places. My guess is that I'm not the only one that has done this quenching during this season of our lives. Can we confess that we all have at least played into our fair share of ignoring and neglecting, like forgetting, uh, rejecting the Spirit of God? And for me, truthfully, it took the grace of preparing the sermon on the Holy Spirit to actually turn me back even just a little bit to the availability and the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. And it's changed the course of things time and time again. I'll talk about, boast about, testify um, through my own life and preach from the word about the Holy Spirit. And I pray that for you too, that there would be an even greater degree of leaning, depending, facing the Holy Spirit. As we continue to work and endure and grieve through this pandemic, as we take 
as he tackles social and political division, the demonization of the opposing side, uh, and, and, and as we deal with the rise of mental health issues, right, like depression and anxiety, natural disasters left and right of earthquakes and, and wildfires, uh, even the tragic exposure and downfall of so many church leaders and the discouragement and cynicism it has led for many, what do you do with all of this? And to put it bluntly, we need the Holy Spirit more than ever. And I don't believe we can afford to forget, ignore, and neglect. We absolutely cannot quench the greatest source of help and hope that has, made, has been made available to us by God himself. So please join me in prayer for the Spirit's help and power to, to course from his word um, into our hearts. So please join me in prayer. Oh, oh Father, we, we ask for you to ignite within us a holy imagination that is rooted in your mind and heart. Give us a vision of a spirit-filled life. Help us not to regulate the mighty work of the spirit to the past, but help us not to be overcome by our circumstances or the difficult realities before us, but give us the reality that you want for us, within us and around us, a life overflowing with joy, with zeal, with true hope and healing, that we would shine brightly during what is probably the darkest time we have ever experienced as a generation. Remind us of who we are and what you do, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the mighty, strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, if I were to start off anything about the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the Holy Spirit is first and foremost God's personal presence, God's personal presence in our lives. And it is the Spirit, it is the Spirit, this Spirit, God's personal and powerful presence that gives life-creating, life-restoring, and energizing goodness that spreads throughout all of creation wherever he goes. How does he do this? And how does the spirit work and move? Right? How, how does he actually function? And one of the primary ways by which the spirit does this is by being in us and working through us. And ding, that's the outline. right? In us and through us. And so we'll be looking at the, the, deeper, the, the Spirit's deeper work in this way. And throughout the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit's power used to dwell in and work through God's people, me and you, time and time again. So let's start with in you, in you. You see, the night before Jesus was to be arrested and executed, Jesus starts to give his parting words to his disciples. And of course, naturally, they become distraught, worried, anxious, and afraid. They're confused, uncertain of what Jesus means by the talk of his imminent departure. Jesus then begins to try to ease their minds, comforting them with truths, instructions, and exhortations. Starting with, starting with the verse 1 in John 14, he says this, Guys, listen, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. You know, believe also in me. Jesus goes on to say that where he is going, there are many, many rooms that he must prepare for them. In those days, it was custom for a groom to go on ahead and prepare the home for his bride and then come back for her to bring her to their home and, 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 and get that life ready for the both of them together. Jesus tells them the same. There are eternal places for you and I will ready them for you and I will come back for you so that you will be where I am. 
he continues his words of comfort. Until then, he says this, where I'm going, you can pray to me. You can contact me even though I will not be with you. We'll be in touch. John 14, verses 13 to 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, what the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And they're thinking, okay, okay, that's cool. I guess you're leaving, but you know what? This sounds like a good deal. You're, you're going to tidy up and ready some places and have our names on it. You'll, you'll eventually return and, and, and bring us there. But until then, until then, we can still talk and, and, and we'll still be in touch. That's, that's somewhat comforting. I'm, I'm feeling some ease to my anxiety. That's, these are great promises, Jesus. Then it gets weird. Verses 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. In you. Ew. In you. Jesus says, when I go, I will talk to God and I will send and you will receive another helper, an advocate or counselor. In the Greek, the word here for another is more accurately translated as the same as me, another like me. I'm sending you a counselor like me. Jesus continues, and you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Oh, oh okay, Jesus, listen, the, the counselor, the advocate, the spirit of truth who is like you, who is you, is going to be in me, like in me. Jesus, what? Get real. You're, you're gonna be, you're gonna be, you're going to a place to prepare rooms for us, a place where you'll be able to hear us when you pray to you, but all that, in addition, you'll send a helper down. Great, but in us? Really? I mean, do you hear that? Do you hear that truth? By the helper, counselor, advocate, spirit of truth, Jesus is not only with us, he is, he is in us. He's in us. You know, this is a truth that you might have learned time and time again, especially if you're a church-going veteran. But should it not give us cause to pause and for, for us to be in a state of utter awe at this truth that, that the living God, Jesus, is in us? Stay, stay there for a little bit, just a little longer. Jesus, the living God, is living in us. Yeah, amen, see? The same God that chose to dwell in the garden. The same God that chose to dwell in a burning bush. The same God who chose to dwell in a man-made traveling tent called the tabernacle and later at a glorious building called the temple. The same God who chose to rest and empower certain individuals like Abraham, Moses, Noah, judges, and the prophets. And the one who chose to dwell amongst man and the son of man, Jesus. He is now, to, he is now chosen to dwell in us. Isaiah 66.1 says this, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? And it is, and it is us that becomes his house. It is us that becomes his place of rest. Jesus lives in you. God lives in you. I don't know if we can ever completely grasp the truth. So what does that mean then? What is God doing in there? Okay, what are you doing in there, God? Apparently it's a new thing, as told in Ezekiel 36, a New Testament promise given to us. A New Testament thing. 
I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will a spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know, this new heart he's creating in us and this new spirit he's giving giving is working on what you are truly to hate and what you are truly to love, basically. Paul goes into more in Romans 8, the classic description of what a spirit-filled life looks like. Romans 8, 12 to 13, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen, you start to hate what you used to love, You start, to, you start hating the deeds of the body so much that you long just to put it away. You put it to death, not wanting to and turning away from the things that hurt God. The, the taste buds just change in the spirit. I have, I have a pretty extreme example of this. Okay? I, I knew a Christian brother who was addicted, uh, he had, addicted to pornography for many years. Right? And one evening, as he was well into his sin, he just started feeling sick and, and started to, to throw up, actually hurl, I don't know when the last time I used that word, hurl, but he hurled in response to the images and movies he's watching. And from that point forward, every time he fell into his porn addiction, he would just throw up. <laughs> and this was one of many walls the Lord built up in his life to help him hate and turn away from it. Yes, an extreme example, but it's just an extreme example of the fact that he's working on what we are to hate, <laughs> but, but also what we are to love, but also what we are to love. Romans 8, 14 to 15 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. There's something about when the living Spirit of God just interacts with our own spirit, and, and there's this amazing divine interaction, convincing, persuading deep within us that there is a Heavenly Father that loves us. Is for us, and, and more than fear of being punished for any wrongdoing, we are in sorrow for grieving him. In the summer of 2020, we caught our eldest daughter, Hannah, who at the time was five, hiding, or so she thought she was hiding, uh, in her room and playing on her Kindle when she wasn't supposed to. Dun, dun, dun. Right? When we found her, she gave us this, this gawking look, like, how did you find me? Like, honey, you weren't hiding anywhere. As a consequence, we took away our Kindle privileges for the rest of the day. My wife, Grace, in her journal, documents the rest of what happened in her preceding conversations with Hannah. She said I could read this. I don't go in her journal without permission. <laughs> she became overwhelmed, she, she writes, she became overwhelmed with shame, disappointment, and anger, and, and started hitting herself, punishing herself saying that no one loved her and that she wished everyone hated her and that God hated her. Her eyes were panicked and overwhelmed at the same time. I hugged her and rocked her, telling her that I loved her, that God loved her, and I know that she was upset and disappointed. She eventually gave in and cried into my shoulder and calmed down. She went to Lester in a different room for a hug and more reassurance. A few minutes later, Hannah came back into the room She was calmer but still angry. She started to repeat what she said earlier about how she wished everyone hated her and, and hit her arm twice. I told her sternly to stop hurting herself because I loved her and would do anything to stop the people I love from getting hurt. 
I told her that the mean things she was saying about herself were lies from the sneaky snake, which is you know, our term for Satan. She stopped and asked, what would happen if Satan sat on God's throne? I told her that God sits on the big throne and that Satan could not go there. But that there was also a throne in her heart and that Satan or God could sit there and that she could ask God to sit on the throne of her heart. And Hannah just started to weep. I asked her if she wanted to talk to God. She nodded, yes, and then started to pray in the most fervent confession I've ever heard a young child pray. Through cries and tears, she sobbed, God, please sit on my throne. I don't want to lie. Please help me not to sin. I was crying as I held her tightly. I sent Lester a text message, and he came into the room, and we prayed together. And she finally rested in our embrace, very calm and peaceful. We named her Hannah because, like the Hannah in the Bible, it was our prayer that she would cry out to God in her time of need. And to hear her do that, to cry out to God, to help her from doing wrong, to help her from her self-condemnation, found in the form of when she should strike herself, asking for help not because she feared punishment from us, but to help her not to lie against a God that loved her, to help her not to sin against the the one she loves, a raw and genuine prayer that can only be produced by a heart indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God in us, giving a new heart and a new spirit. He's working on what we are to hate, but also what we are to love, the living God in us. The Holy Spirit now doesn't just work in you where he stirs your affections and and convicts your heart and reminds you of truths, but he moves through you, through you. When the Spirit moves, he rarely ever stops working at a pleasant thought, idea, conviction in our minds. He, he rarely stops his movement towards, um, from, from, from a good feeling that we may have. But when the Spirit moves, he progresses usually to an action that moves towards and blesses others. God's goodness through the Holy Spirit works not only in you, but through you to others as well. From small nudges to big dramatic movements of the Spirit, He works through us, through us. In October of 2017, we were well into leading our church in St. Louis. We were very comfortable there. We loved our church family. It was like the perfect scenario. I just brought them into my denomination, and we were ready to buy a house down there. Grace's parents were ready to move down there. We were ready to set down our pegs on our tent deeply into St. Louis. Then one morning, as I was in the shower, um, just getting my sermon prepared in my mind and, and going through it, all of a sudden, there felt this physical grasp of my heart. I don't know how else to explain it. And it felt, literally felt like it was getting squeezed. I was like, am I getting a heart attack? What's going on? Right. And then all of a sudden, this deep burden came over me. And I can't say it was an audible voice, but it felt like so loud in my, in my heart. And it was, this, it was this message and this leading of like, people in Chicago need Jesus. And all of a sudden, before my eyes, I started seeing flashes of faces and, and the sights of Chicago. And, and I haven't been back in Chicago in 11 years. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, what's going on? Are you? And then again and again, the people of Chicago need Jesus. And I was like, what? This is so random. And I started tearing up. I'm like, but what about our church? What about the church that we love? Are you leading us out into Chicago? And after many months of deliberation, many months of prayer, uh, conversations of people saying, yes, you should go, or no, you shouldn't, right? Little weird, maybe what you could think is coincidences. But at the end of the day, after four to six months of praying and talking about this, we felt like if we didn't go back to Chicago, it was just disobedience. It would just be disobeying him from going. Working in us, right? Working in me, right? The heart for people of Chicago. Who, no way. That's impossible. I didn't want to go back, right? But also through us, moving to Chicago and taking part in a call to church plant in Worker Park, Chicago, right? Through, through in, working in us, working through us to go and to obey and to serve, the Holy Spirit through you, whether it was an inspired thought that led you to pray to, and love someone, right? through you, whether, whether it was a timely word given in a sermon that led you to serve someone and, and love someone, uh, through you, whether, where the gifts of the Spirit were manifested, through you, where you are commissioned to be Jesus for wherever you are in your life, the, the Holy Spirit through you, people are served, blessed, encouraged, and loved. Through you, the Spirit works. The same way the Spirit gave dreams to Joseph. The same way the Spirit empowered men to to craft the ark of the covenant and tabernacle. The same Spirit that gave prophets power to be forthtelling and forthright with rebuke and warnings towards God's chosen and rebellious people. The the very same Spirit that, that came upon the judges leading his faithless people back to him again and again and again. This same spirit no longer reserved for a select few to bless others, but an aspect of what makes the New Testament new is that everyone who follows Jesus gets the spirit. Everyone that follows Jesus gets the spirit. All share in having God in them and working through them. Everyone gets the spirit that works in and through you. So a question you might ask, I don't know, is... um, so why is he doing this? Why, what is the overall purpose of the Spirit working in us and through us? What is the, what's the deal with all of that? Right? What is being accomplished in the Spirit in, in you and through you? What's happening? Now, if we go back to some previous verses we looked at, we're just going to look at one verse forward for the Ezekiel verse and then one verse back for our John verse and that should tell us a really good reason as to why the spirit is doing this Ezekiel 36 25 to 27 I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and new spirit and so forth right but let's go one verse up verse 27 and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, let's go back to um, John 14. Okay? And we looked at verses 16 to 17. And I was the Father, and he will give you another helper, even the, in the spirit of truth. You'll know him. He'll, he'll dwell and be in you. Remember that weird promise he gave? Now, let's, let's um, go to verse 15, just one previous back, and, and see why he's even doing this. Verse 15, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Why is the Spirit doing this? Why is the Spirit given? In you and through you so he can help us as the helper. To help us what? Keep his commandments. To help us obey. Woo! Obey. And you're sitting there with what looks like you're, with masks, disappointed. That's the big reveal? Come on, man. You you do something better. It sounds so oppressive. Obey? Right? But not to the child of God. Allow me to address what is common and lies deep down in every child of God's heart. You long to do what God wants you to do. Amen? You long to do what God wants you to do. Jesus said it. If you love me, you will do what I command. Loving God and wanting to follow him and his commands are not mutually exclusive. Look at the words within our own hearts articulated by the Psalms. Psalm 19.14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 86.11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. To which we respond, we love you, Jesus. We want to follow you, my Lord. If you are a Christian, there's a deep longing in your heart to want to do what God wants you to do. But here's the problem. Our sinful hearts and polluted faculties feel like such a, it just feels like this this frustrating hindrance in doing that. It feels like a barrier or a wall in, in being able to do that freely. Paul talks about that in Romans 7, for, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in me, that, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Every single aspect of our being has been polluted and tainted where we cannot give the love and obedience the Lord deserves and calls for. It can feel so frustrating, right? It, it makes us feel so helpless and hopeless when we can't do that. Our own hearts are so quick to condemn ourselves when we feel like we fail. We're so FCF'd up. But in the spirit, we can give acceptable obedience and we can please the Lord. We can keep our end of the covenant in the spirit. Spirit-empowered obedience is everything to the Christian. I'm not talking about will-powered, teeth-gritted, I'm supposed to, obedience. I'm not talking about that. He empowers you, helps, counsel, motivates you to a meaningful, heartfelt, non-legalistic, non-self-acclaiming, non-self-centered posture, but rather a God-centered obedience. In the spirit, human effort obedience becomes God-centered worship. Let me ask you a question. What's easier? Knowing the word or doing the word? Go ahead. Knowing the word or doing it? What's easier? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Knowing the word. Knowing the word. But we're commanded to what? Do the word. And that's hard. That's difficult. 
our resurrected Savior has sent us help. We absolutely cannot go on quenching the Spirit. Like, listen, do you see? Like, do you see? The Spirit is absolutely necessary in living out the Christian life. It's impossible. The Christian life is impossible without the Spirit. Obedience is the greatest platform, the greatest stage, the greatest sail that sees the wind of the Spirit work. Even children love to show their parents what they did, take delight in pleasing their parents through their obedience. Sometimes, rarely, no, I'm just kidding, almost never. But in much, in much a diff- somewhat same different way, uh, our greatest reward is actually the Father's smile, right? And pleasure found by all those in Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, I shared a little bit of, in terms of our call coming back to Chicago. And that year and a half of church planting was the hardest year and a half uh, for me and my family's life thus far. What we thought was a vision and a call given to us by the Lord, it was full of miscommunication, broken promises, disorganization, leadership expectations that just weren't met, that felt impossible to meet. Just It felt like so much pressure. Hey, listen, those of you in this room that have ever been part of a church plant, you, you can agree that church planting is not easy. Amen? Church planting is not easy. And on top of that, the day that we launched, Joseph was born. <laughs> And at that time, and still to this day, he suffers from a laundry list of allergies. And we were dealing with that at home. On top of that, Hannah had such emotional strife in trying to adjust to Chicago, moving away from St. Louis. My wife needed me more than ever, but I was so caught up in this church plan. She felt so alone in our family struggles. I was spending day and night in trying to get this plant to work. And one afternoon, again, just a year and a half in, I had an unexpected meeting with the church network. Hey, I don't think it's working out. I think we should start looking to our departure. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on, what, what happened to all the hard work? That me and my family, what, what happened to the investment that we put into this plant? What about the people we invested in? Wait, it was so confusing. I just, I just felt, like, I felt like I was failing God's mission in our lives. It hurt and shook me and my wife to the core. It felt like we were getting kicked out of a family. It felt like we were getting a divorce from the bride of Christ that we thought we were called to. I was getting fired from my job. It brought such pain and uncertainty to our family in losing a community that we had an intimate part in building. And so upon having that meeting, I had to go in that Sunday and serve our church. And I'm like, I sat in my car before that Sunday service, and I'm like, how am I going to go in there? I'm a wreck. I feel so hurt, confused. I'm supposed to, for some, just try to hide this side of me because i gotta got to keep things cordial. Got to keep things going. I'm like, Lord, I can't go back in there. 
And I just had a genuine moment with the Lord, and I said, I just prayed. Lord, why did you hurt me so much this past year? Why did our family suffer so much this past year? And upon those words, in an instant, it felt like his presence just flooded my car. And I felt his arms around me with a loving embrace. And and a, a small, gentle voice in my heart saying, Lester, my child, you obeyed. I love you. Now go rest. And upon hearing those words, I just just cried like a little baby, experiencing the pleasure of the Lord. And that was enough for me. That was enough for me. All I want to do is follow Jesus. And I know deep down inside, all you want to do is love and follow Jesus. And we can be so discouraged when we feel like we failed him, right? But the Lord has promised us something amazing. There's a Holy Spirit that works in us and through us to help us in our heartfelt obedience so that he may be known and and to be glorified. Is it not true that the greatest place to be is where God wants you to be? And the greatest thing you can do is doing what God wants you to do. Amen? If the fullness of the Spirit lives in us, the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? That is a ridiculous question. How much of the Holy Spirit do you have right now? That's not the question. The real question is how much does the Holy Spirit have of you? How much of the Holy Spirit does he have of you? How much does the Holy Spirit have of your time, your attention, your dependence, your surrender? May we not ignore, neglect, oppress, quench the Spirit's work, but rather may we depend, cling on to, ask for help, and love God with our entire selves as it plays itself out in loving obedience. This work of the Holy Spirit is not automatic or robotic. The Spirit is not a power to gather or to harness. He is a person, and thus it is a relational matter. It is realized in our lives. The Spirit is realized in our lives through humble, through humble dependence. It can be easy as blunt prayers to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me patience. Simple, right? Holy Spirit, take my anxiousness away. Holy Spirit, I've been hurt by someone I truly care about. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, he's accessible. He's there. He's in us. From the first pages of the Bible, the hovering of the Spirit was upon barren, unorganized, unpurposed, lifeless landscape. But when, but then what happens? Water emerges, right? Dirt is animated. Gardens manifested. Man created. In the valley of lifeless bones, as told in the book of Ezekiel, what happens to these lifeless bones? The dead bones are breathed into by God and made alive, giving a powerful image of lifeless, sinful man that will be breathed into and made alive to him. The energizing personal life presence of God found in the spirit pattern continues on with us. The Lord gives life through the dead world by working in and through you. 
in you and through you by a powerful hate for sin and a love produced in your heart and a glad keeping of his commandments. Let's stop quenching the spirit. And may we be filled from the inside out, overflowing life and building the kingdom of God together. Because you know what? Wherever the spirit is working, in and through God's children, that's where his kingdom is. Let's pray. Romans 8.14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons, these are the daughters of God. Just take a moment before we sing some praises and bring simple prayers to the Lord. Interact with the Spirit that lies within you. How is he speaking to you at this time? What do you have to say in desperate dependence, in wanting to love him and follow him? Let's create some space in our busy lives and allow this powerful spirit of God to move. have his way in you. So let's take a moment and break. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.